Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Roads Australia's podcast, The Hub. My name's Simon Morgan, and I'm Director of Corporate Affairs here at RA. We're really excited to be bringing you this episode of The Hub, which will be a chance for you to hear from two incredibly engaging and enthusiastic emerging leaders in our industry. You don't have to take my word for it either, because they're both winners of RA's PPP Award. That award is presented to one emerging leader each year who demonstrates promise, passion and pursuit and has the capacity to make a major contribution to our industry going forward. The award is a crucial component of RA's Emerging Leaders Program, which provides the next generation of industry leaders with exclusive access to a range of networking events, informative webinar discussions and group mentoring sessions. Through these activities, RA supports emerging leaders across our industry to build their own empowering networks. I'm really, really excited to have these two guests with us today. Rosata Rujitaj is Principal Highways Engineer and Australian New Zealand Technical Practice Leader Highways at AECOM and was awarded the PPP Award for 2021. Rosada's strong technical experience is matched by a passion for enhancing our industry's gender and cultural diversity. Coming from a non-English speaking background, Rosata has drawn on her own experience to support initiatives that will shape a more inclusive industry. Rosata, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me. And we also have John Hallam, uh, who is our latest PPP award winner. John is a passionate advocate for industry change and delivering social outcomes through project delivery. He has worked collaboratively with a wide range of stakeholders to tackle some of the most pressing challenges facing industry around skills, social procurement and sustainability. John, thank you for joining us and congratulations on being our latest winner. Thanks, Simon. Really happy to be here alongside Rosada. So the the thing that's really interesting is, of course, you both have come to the industry from very different pathways. Um, Rosada, in your case, your journey has so far been what would be considered a traditional engineering pathway. You completed an engineering degree, and for the last 10 years at AECOM, you've held technical engineering roles in the design and construction of major infrastructure projects. I wonder if you could just touch on your own personal background and how you came to find yourself in the industry. Yeah, thanks, Simon. I I think for me, a career in engineering was a very natural selection growing up. And then later in in high school, I enjoyed um, problem solving, maths, physics, and your typical STEM subjects. So given engineering is all about problem solving, a, a career as an engineer was the right choice. And having now been in the industry for more than 10 years since graduation, I can't actually imagine myself doing anything else. So it's, it was definitely the, the right choice. I first heard the word engineer when I was about 10 years old. Um, at the time, my family and I were still living in, in Albania in southeastern Europe. And it might have been around 1998 or 1999 when um, my dad, together with uh, some of his relatives, were in the process of redeveloping a block of land they co-owned to build restaurants. And I recall overhearing uh, my dad in conversations and saying things like, oh, we need to meet with the engineers and we need to change this and we need to change that. And in my head, I just created this image that this engineer person must have had a lot of authority and, and respect to be in charge of everything. And I found that attractive. I want it to be like that. And then later on, once everything was built, um, as a child, I was just so impressed with how everything went from being just an empty block of land to then becoming a place where both my parents worked and including me later on, actually, I did do some washing up there. So 
But it was around this time also when obviously inspired by what was happening in our family, I arranged my own office in the backyard of the house that we had over there. And this was, you know, nothing like the the ACOM George Street office where I currently work. It was just, you know, an old veranda at the back uh, where no one was allowed to walk because of course I had um, I had my projects and I was expecting my clients to come and see me. And by clients, I mean just, you know, my, my neighborhood friends. So, you know, from that very early age, I could see myself doing something something of of this nature. Uh, A few years later then, maybe a couple of years before we moved to Australia in 2003, the restaurants were actually acquired by the government and demolished to allow for for a highway upgrade, which connected our city to the Greek border. So yet again, you know, I saw another aspect of engineering. And and as it turns out, it's what I actually do now working on, on highway projects. So it was maybe a lens into the future. I just didn't know it at the time. Sounds like there was definitely an element of destiny in all of that for you. Um, (laughs) Coming, just coming to you, John. You're not from a typical engineering or construction background. You actually studied business and the law. So, could you perhaps briefly describe your own journey from obtaining those qualifications to the type of industry role that you find yourself in today? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very different to Rosada's background, but really interesting to hear how we all came into the industry. But I guess for my entire life, pretty much from year two onwards, I was convinced as a seven-year-old that I wanted to be a lawyer and I didn't really see any other option. And I sort of my upbringing and background has been in sort of government and politics with, with my parents and my family. So I really was sort of trending down that line. And I'd probably say that I found myself in industry by pure accident, I sort of found my niche in this space. And as you said, I did a double degree in law and business and my business major was public relations and it was a five and a half year monster double degree. So I just wasn't really keen to jump into practical legal training immediately, which is the modern form of what some people might know as your articles. And so I guess finishing that five and a half year degree, one of the university lecturers um, at my university, QUT in Queensland, reached out and said that given my business major in public relations, there might be a suitable stakeholder engagement role with a KBR. And so I guess the plan was I'd figured I'd just do it for a year while getting admitted to practice law. And I had my first interview for a role in Brisbane and later they came back in the next interview, they're like, would you like to move to Qatar? You know, I guess from that first interview to the second interview um, that I'd just be looking at a, you know, a role in the Middle East. Um, I don't think it's a very common pathway for people in Australia, but um, yeah, it was a really surreal and completely unexpected turn of events. And I landed on the expressway program in Qatar, which was delivering over 800 kilometers of new highways for coincidentally the World Cup, which is on later this year. So it's a bit wild to think about. So I landed in Qatar, spent two years there. And since then, I've come back and been working for Lang O'Rourke in Australia. And they've just been so fantastic and you know, allowed me so many dynamic opportunities in project delivery and bid roles. And I get to work with clients every day, project teams to shape projects in the infancy. And I get a really good balance between law, which is very much, like you said, Rosado, heavily problem-solving focused and business um, and how you structure that. It's very dynamic. It's high stakes with bids, but I think it just goes to show as well, I guess, with the journey, there are a lot of people who wouldn't really understand that construction is more than just engineers or also men with um, hard hats and hammers. I think there's probably like an image thing that I probably didn't appreciate how uh, you know much is invested into these projects and how diverse the experience of people that work on these projects are. Fantastic. We'll, we'll certainly draw out a couple of those points um, in our conversation very shortly. So from those two very different starting points, you've both clearly become standout emerging leaders in the industry, which is recognised by you both being winners of our PPP award. As we noted earlier, that stands for promise, passion and pursuit. Your promise and passion both shine through even in the brief conversation that we've just had. 
But I just want to spend a couple of moments on that third criteria, pursuit, in the sense that demonstrates determination and perseverance. Every career has got challenges and confronting situations that you have to deal with. So just drawing on your own experiences, I wonder if you could highlight a difficult problem or a challenging aspect of a project that you've had to deal with and how important in dealing with it was it for you to have a supportive professional network and mentors around you that you could lean on to get you through those times. I might start with you, John. I have been so incredibly blessed in my career to date to have some fantastic male and female mentors who I've learned so much from, but mostly in an informal setting. And that's what I find really works with mentor and support structures. It's the informal support you get from people that you recognize that these senior leaders in in organizations are just that, just people. And I could reel off a number of names, but I'll likely get in trouble for missing out on some of the best. But I can tell you right now (laughs) that you'll find the majority of them at Langer Org the past four or five years that I've had here, they have just been fantastic to me. I think informal mentoring is the best form of relationship because you can be comfortable and confident being vulnerable, talking earnestly and openly, and which you just learn by that osmosis piece. But I guess, yeah, some of the most sage advice I've been given is on the power of listening um, and to always take things at face value. You learn so much more by seeking to understand and speaking, and you'll never do yourself or anyone else a favor by overanalyzing the meaning of someone else's words or actions. The best thing a mentor can give you is not to resolve an issue for you, but it's actually to give you an ear and some objective reasoning um, to make a practical decision. Because if you back someone in and they might get it right, they might get it wrong, but you're going to learn so much more from it. Great answer. Thank you, John. And uh, Rosada, how does that gel with your own experience? So an example that comes to mind for me is from a challenging role, but equally from one of my favorite projects. Um, as, as mentioned, I've been with ACOM now for just over 10 years and majority of those years has been working on major DNC design and construct projects where time pressures sometimes get can get a bit intense. So a couple of years back, I was working on maybe let's just say a project during construction phase services where I led a team of about 10 engineers at the site office and about 20 others from the the home offices. And and this role really tested me, not only technically, but also from a time and a people management perspective. I was the first point of contact for the contractor and for the civil queries. and, And in that role, I was responsible for getting them site query responses, so RFIs and NCRs. And, and being during construction, everything was urgent and needed a response now. And as you know, construction starts work a, a bit earlier. So, you know, I'd get in the office and already there would be 40 plus unread emails with urgent requests. And before I'd even had a chance to sit down, I'd have contractors come up to me and to my desk for for urgent answers. It was, yeah, it was just impossible to organize and plan your day. I felt like I was constantly putting out fires and no other role I have done since compares to the level of coordination that was required for that role. So so how did I deal with that? Um, I built trust in the team that I had out there with me. You know, at first, I tried to to read every single response that was draft response that the team was sending to me. But at peak construction, it was simply impossible. Even if I spent 24 hours in the office, it would be impossible for me to read every single query. So I had to trust the, the people in my team and let them own different tasks, let them run with it first, and then only call me in when they were stuck and needed guidance. Secondly, it was very important to, to get better at figuring out what was really urgent and important and become better at prioritizing issues. You know, in a pool of 40 plus problems, you can only deal with one at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also important to build strong working relationships, not only with my own team, but uh, also with the contractors that are out there, you know, finding time to check in with each other, to just look out for each other 
and and just you know have each other's back because they're quite intense working environments and it's just amazing how everyone connects and ultimately performs better even from simple things like grabbing a coffee together or just sitting down together for lunch. And lastly, similar to what John was saying earlier, it was important to have a supportive professional network around me. You know, when I was doing that role, there were people back at um, the ACOM office that I was consulting for advice, you know, people that had done that role before on previous projects and they could offer me advice from their own experience. And I also had a number of mentors and, and they were the first to celebrate my success, you know, once positive client comments and net promoter scores um, came through. And we did get a couple of, you know, 10 out of 10s on, on that project. They were great clients to work with. Fantastic. Like I think those answers from both of you really illustrate the value of a, a strong professional network and also are a demonstration of why collaboration matters. I'm just going to pose a slightly different final question to each of you now. Starting with you, Rosada, you've now completed your 12-month industry ambassador experience. Uh, I'm hoping you can share with us what was the most valuable aspect of that and perhaps touch on how you feel it will help you drive cultural change within the industry as you move forward. What do you feel like your key focus um, needs to be now? There's been so many, Simon, but if I had to pick three of the most valuable aspects, they would be, one, um, the public speaking opportunities at industry level. You know, us engineers, we admit that we are not the best um, public speakers out there. So through this ambassador experience, I got the opportunity to facilitate a session at the Rhodes Australia Transport Summit in in June last year. I got the opportunity to speak on panels as well as um, facilitate one of the Emerging Leaders Group mentoring sessions last year. And, And due to COVID, and the numerous lockdowns we've had, you know, a couple of these turned into webinars, but still quite an experience. And I'm definitely not an expert now, but I have noticed that I feel way more comfortable and way more confident doing them now than I did before this uh, ambassador experience. So through this experience, I got to meet so many new people in the industry and, and people actually got to know off me. You know, I was recently conducting an interview and the person I was interviewing um, joined the call. And as soon as I turned my camera on, they said, oh, you're the um, Rhodes Australia PVP winner. I was there you know that same night that you won the award so you know there's been a bit of that in the past year which has been a great conversation starter but as well as a great interview starter and ACOM is also a huge organization and, and through the exposure that I got from Rose Australia I feel like a lot more people in our organization can now recognize my uh, lengthy and difficult to pronounce name. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I also think the exposure that I got from this experience may have been one of the factors that um, led to me being tapped on the shoulder to take up the ANZ technical practice leader role for highways, a role which I've held for the last um, five months. So, you know, it was a bit of a case where one opportunity links you to the next. Um, And then the third point I just wanted to touch on uh, was the RA fellowship program and and the research project experience and the awesome project team that I got to, to know and work with throughout last year to deliver our research project. So big shout out to Amy, Jana, Matt, Kristen Miles and Angela Walker from Transurban. They were an awesome team to work with. And we're not meeting every week like we did last year when we were working through the research project, but we've kept in contact uh, even after now that the program has finished, which is one of the purposes of the program really, to, to build strong lasting networks and, and leadership skills, which will serve the next generation of, of industry leaders. Um, and to answer the second part of the question, Simon, around um, cultural change within our industry and what my key focus will be now. So as you know, our research project was around coming up with a primary work redesign intervention that could 
eliminate or reduce job stresses. So as part of our research, we, we reviewed quite a, a bit of literature and one was a study that was completed in 2019, which measured the psychological impact of work-related stress in the Victorian construction industry. Um, so this study surveyed the, the mental health of 683 construction professionals working in, in eight major construction companies, and it found that average levels of depression, anxiety, and stress exceeded population norms by uh, 40% for depression, 38% for anxiety, and 37% for stress, which is you know, quite alarming results, but also not surprising. Um, mm. For me, this was a wake-up call when uh, one of my closest friends at work went through a very di difficult time at the end um, of the project we were working on last year, which was another design and construct project. And the thing is that there was no struggling science whatsoever while we were delivering the project. You only really feel the impact of that after it's all over and when, when the pressure does come off. So whether it's, you know, from study findings, from your own experience or the experience of those around you, it is very clear that a major culture change is required in our industry to ensure a sustainable work environment where people are not overworked or overstressed to hit unachievable deadlines. And, and this needs to change in order for us to, to attract and retain people in, in our industry. So a key focus to me has been to check in with the people around me, to hold myself and others accountable for the time we walk in and walk out of the office. And and to encourage flexible working so that people can live more balanced lifestyles and, and bring better and healthier versions of themselves to work. Yes, thanks, Rosada. That certainly um, accords with a lot of the discussions we've been having um, this week, particularly with International Women's Day as well and the, mm. the need to attract uh, more women to work in our industry and some of those barriers are things that the industry definitely needs to get on top of. Coming to you, John, uh, you've got your year-long experience are now just kicking off. What are you hoping to draw from it and how do you hope to influence change in the industry through the experience? You learn so much and, you know, can often improve your own work just seeing how different people work. So I'm really looking forward to that and networking. In terms of, I guess, what I want to tackle this year, there are so many areas um, that I'd love to help influence change. And I think that's what I've really enjoyed about working where I am at Langer Rock is that we do have a huge focus on like sensible and collaborative procurement and sustainable environmentally friendly project outcomes through our global sustainability strategy, but also our 50-50 gender diversity targets, which we're running towards in 2033, but also driving social benefit through procurement as well. That is a huge area that I have a lot of passion for. And I think it's a really good area that I guess, you know, we can uh, we can build jobs, but then how do we build jobs to deliver outcomes um, on top? I think, you know, we're looking at uh, the recovery from COVID-19, like a pandemic that's ripped through and a lot of other global events going on right now. And we're going through this recovery process and it's just, yep, sure, we can use these infrastructure projects to stimulate the economy, but can we stimulate marginalised communities and other, you know, minority groups. I realise, well, uh, you can't see me. I have an exceptionally large mouth. There might be a little bit too much to chew in 12 months. So I guess in the advent of, yeah, probably the most significant infrastructure boom we've seen in Australia's history, my message and what I hope to change, you know, as a white male, I might not but absolutely scream diversity inclusion, but my message is about broadening horizon for who we bring into industry. As I said, I sort of fell into it not knowing about the industry and uh, I guess the diversity of roles that are available. And I think what I really would love to sort of drive as a message this year on top of you know, working in those areas I mentioned before and sustainability and social procurement and, and more collaborative contract procurement with government is that, 
you don't need to be an engineer to work in construction and you certainly don't need to be under tools. And I think, you know, given that we keep talking about it for the past 12 months, oh my God, there's so much work. How are we going to get the resources to do it? We actually really need to take uh, a second step back and look at the tasks we need to do on jobs and ask ourselves if we really need a per- person with a specific qualification or a specific number of years to do that task. And so I really hope that this year I can challenge a lot of project leaders and directors and businesses to say, you know, when you're hiring someone, do they need that specific qualification? And my challenge back to them is in your day-to-day job, how much of your qualification do you use on a daily basis? And have you ever hired someone for a job that didn't necessarily have the right qualifications but smashed it out of the park? So I think it might be uh, a more simplistic goal, but it really is, I guess, as we're trying to deliver this massive pipeline of work, bringing in that diversity of thought and diversity of experience and not holding ourselves to the old structures of you must have X number of years in this degree because I just don't think it's going to work. And I think this is a way for us to really tackle probably the biggest challenge for the Australian construction industry, which is resourcing. That's a very comprehensive agenda you've set for yourself, John. Um, So (laughs) we look forward to seeing that shake out throughout the year. (laughs) Clearly, this is a conversation that we could um, keep having for hours. And the good news is it's one we'll continue to have throughout the year at many of our Emerging Leaders events, which uh, both Rosata and John will be closely involved with. But for now, can I simply thank both of you for joining me today to share those insights with us, and some of which have hopefully inspired some future PPP award winners out there. Uh, John Rosata, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. If you would like to learn more about the Emerging Leaders Program and how you can get involved, you can visit the recently refreshed RA website at roads.org.au for further details. The program's biggest event each year, the Emerging Leaders Annual Gala, is being held in Sydney on 17th of March. Jump online or use the links provided in our weekly email newsletter, RA Insider, to book your seat. That's all for this edition of The Hub. Thanks so much for listening and for your continued support of RA. We look forward to seeing you again soon.